turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, please. Gospel of Matthew and chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, and I'm going to read from verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This morning, I'm going to do something different with you. We're not looking at Ephesians just for this morning, but we're looking at a word for the weary. Come to me and I will give you Rest. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we don't come simply to a history book or a book with good morals in it or something whereby it outlines the way we can live. But Lord, we have a living book that is life to us. And we thank you that you are the word of God, dear Lord. And we want to pray that we may feed on the Lord Jesus this morning. We pray that he would be everything to us. We ask that you would direct us, Lord, guide us in our time together. We pray for your anointing upon my speaking. Please, Lord, in your mercy, and upon all our hearing. Lord, we long to hear from you. It is you we need to hear. And so, Lord, please, we pray that we may have the hearing of faith this morning and that you would touch our hearts through the reality of your word. We ask all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, um, when my eldest son, Isaac, was knee-high to a grasshopper, don't they say? Um, he was in bed, and he was just about to go to sleep. Or so I thought he had a few more things to say and then he was ready to go to sleep. Um, but he has the ability of knowing what to say in order to keep his talking going at the last minute. And if he knows, he knows that if he talks about the things of the Lord, I'm going to hang around a bit. Um, well, I don't know if that was in his heart when he was talking to me this particular time. But he said to me on one occasion, he said, Dad, um, he said, the Lord is so kind, isn't he? I said. 
Yes, I said Isaac, he is so kind. And then he said, he's so kind and gentle, isn't he? I said, I said yes, that's right, Isaac, he is so kind and gentle. And then he said this, he said, he touches us so gently, doesn't he? And I always thought, right, I better just sit down and take in this sermon. <laughs> he touches us so gently, doesn't he? Um, and the answer to that, of course, is true. He does touch us so gently. But few of us really live in the good of the Lord's disposition of heart towards his people. We have somehow in our thinking the idea that the Lord is perhaps gentle to us some of the time depending on how well our week is going spiritually. Then at other times, he's furious with us if we've slipped up once or twice. We find it very difficult to think that the Lord's disposition of heart towards us is one of gentleness and lowliness. But that's exactly what this scripture just says. Okay? I'm going to quote to you what Thomas Goodwin said about this. Thomas Goodwin was a famous Puritan of, uh, around the time of uh, John Owen, one of the more well-known Puritan writers and preachers. He said this, and I quote, Men are apt to have contrary conceits of Christ, but he tells them his disposition there. By preventing such hard thoughts of him to allure them, unto him the more. We are apt to think that he, being so holy, is therefore of a severe and sour disposition against sinners and not able to bear them. No, says he, I am meek. Gentleness is my nature and temper. It's good, isn't it? And that reveals really what this verse of scripture is saying from verse 29 through to verse 30. So we're going to focus on those verses, but before we do, let's just have a look a little bit at the backdrop from verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Isn't that a wonderful statement of scripture? You know, the wise and understanding are passed over. Why is that? Well, God isn't impressed by man's ability. You've got to remember that the Lord made man. <laughs> and so often we are so impressed by man's intellect or powers or qualifications or what university they went to. And yet those kind of things, when you look at Jesus' life, it doesn't seem to impress him very much. The problem is, the more qualifications we often get, naturally speaking, and the more we learn, the bigger our heads swell. And we consider ourselves to be those who are wise and of an understanding nature, because we've accumulated a lot of information. 
And the same could be even within the church. We can think ourselves that we are wise and understanding because we have a little bit of knowledge about the word of God. And we have to watch against pride within our hearts. Because even if you know a lot, the Bible says we don't know as we ought. And all of us only know a little of who God is. We don't know a great deal of God. It will take eternity to come to know the one that we love in a full and meaningful way. And then you can just never exhaust the riches of Christ. God actually resists the proud. He does. Those that are self-sufficient, self-assured, they know they've got it all right. They know that they're in the know. And the Lord essentially doesn't have anything to do with them. But he's revealed hidden things to little children. What an indictment. <laughs> on our arrogance and our pride and the th things that we think we know. Do you know, even as you go on with the Lord and you gain more knowledge and the Lord reveals things to, to you, it can be easy then to become puffed up. And you see what's wrong around about you and you think, well, I'm glad I'm not like them. Not, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies and if you have knowledge that is harnessed in love by love you have something very beautiful very beautiful do you remember the church at Corinth some of them were really getting into the gifts of the Holy Spirit and we thank God for that but Paul had to correct the way they were functioning in the gifts of the Spirit. And instead of coveting, their better way is love. And if we function in the gifts of the Spirit in love, then we have everything. But unfortunately, we can become proud with what we've been given, forgetting that it was given. Always a danger. Do you know there's many men, many better men than us in this room that have shot up boom, through the ranks in Christian circles and everybody's applauding them and it starts to go to their head. Very dangerous. Well, what do you think of the wise and understanding here? I think it possibly is referring back to something that the Lord said previously to Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, verse 23, will you be exalted to heaven? They thought they would be. You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Wow, that's a powerful word. Wow. And here's the people in Capernaum thinking, well, we're in the know. And the Lord says, the Lord of heaven and earth, you have hidden these things 
from the wise and understanding. You know, from these Pharisees as well, those who studied in the best schools, who couldn't handle the life of the Lord Jesus and hated him. Isn't it amazing? You can study scripture all your life, and when Jesus comes onto the scene, you hate him. How sad is that? So few of intellectual power and ability and just fill in their minds with all kind of intellectual knowledge end up fighting against the very people that they're studying or the very person they're studying in the Lord Jesus. So sad. The scriptures are to draw us to the Lord Jesus, not against him. Well, the Pharisees and Sadducees and all of those crew, many of them, they didn't come through. The Lord had purposed it to reveal hidden things to little children. I love this. You know, there's this wonderful story, isn't there, about John Bunyan, the tinker. He didn't have much intellectual power. He didn't go to Oxford University. There's nothing wrong with going to Oxford University, by the way. And it's good to celebrate those who work hard and, and get to these places. Nothing wrong with it of itself. But the problem is when you think that that qualifies you to understand who God is. Hmm. John Bunyan wrote probably the most famous Christian book on the planet, outside of the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress. He was friends with John Owen who is another famous Puritan who did go to the high universities. He was Mr. Intellectual. John Owen was a great theologian. And praise God, John Owen was definitely a born-again believer. So there's nothing wrong with intellectual power as long as it's broken and under the authority of the Word of God. John Owen stood before great men, and one occasion it's allegedly stated that the king asked John Owen why he wanted to hear John Bunyan preach. You have all these qualifications, you're a great theologian, why do you want to hear John Bunyan, the tinker? And John Owen said to the king, if I could preach like John Bunyan... I would happily do away with all my qualifications. Now that's a humble man. But it just shows you that the Lord doesn't deal in degrees. <laughs> he deals with people. He does. The Lord reveals things to babes, to infants. In other words... If you want to hear from God, you have to get a little smaller. The Lord will not minister his word to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Those who know they're nothing and they need help.
And Jesus is celebrating this fact that this was the will of the Father. He's rejoicing in it. That the Lord Father, that his Father had not revealed this to the intellectually powerful people in the land, but to babes. Now notice verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Now Jesus is starting to speak of the authority he now has. All things have been handed over to me. All things, not some things, but all things. The Father has handed over authority to the Son. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Brothers and sisters, it may have seemed like you chose the Lord, but I promise you, if you read verse 27, it's clear that if you're born again of the Spirit this morning, the Lord chose you. Verse 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. This is one of the wonderful things about the Lord Jesus. He doesn't give people 35 hoops to get through and then they can experience the Lord's rest. There's no qualification added in this particular text about coming to him. It simply says come to him. And so there's a call to those, but to a particular kind of person. Those who labor and are heavy laden, you're weighed down. Now, of course, if you're somebody who's wise and understanding and you're full of yourself, you will never see yourself, even if you really are, you'll never see yourself as somebody who is heavy laden. What do you mean? I'm not heavy laden. I know how to organize my week. I'm a busy man, but I can do it. I pray every morning, I fast so many times a week, I keep the law, I do this, I do that, not like others. I'm much better than them, I'm not heavy laden. A self-made man of Christianity. The wise and understanding are blind to their own condition. They're deceived by their own hearts as to what they are and to their very need. They actually think they can see. No, 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 no. They can't see. But they think they can. Jesus is reaching out to people who've come to an end of themselves. And brothers and sisters, one of the greatest needs within our nation is for people to come to an end of themselves. There's so much self-sufficiency in our country, coupled together with an affluence that isn't always to our benefit. And we need to realize that 
naturally speaking, we feel we are self-made. We can make it. We can do it on our own. And this is essentially what people were saying to Jesus at his time. We don't need Jesus. What do you mean? We've got the law. We've got the Pharisees. We've got our greatest teachers. We don't need this. Jesus is reaching out to those who labor. The word labor means to grow tired with toil, to be weary, to feel fatigue, to be exhausted. That is the kind of person that will come to Jesus. During this time, those that were under the law, those that were under the weight of the Pharisees, pressing down upon them, not simply with the law, but with endless traditions of the elders, separate to the law, pushing down on the people to try to keep things that they can't keep and carry loads that they can't carry. They won't lift a finger to help them. They just put the loads on the backs of the people so their backs are bent. And when you're carrying a heavy load, try walking any distance. It's not going to happen, is it? Or it'll happen for a little while, but then you're down on the ground again. Oh, the Lord had such strong words for the Pharisees, those who are wise in their own eyes and would heap on laws upon others, traditions that were not according to the will of the Lord. The Lord Jesus is pleading, come to me. Don't go elsewhere. And brothers and sisters, this is so important. Don't go elsewhere. Go to the Lord Jesus. We have somebody in the Lord Jesus who knows what it feels like to be human, right? Who knows what it's like to ache. Who knows what it's like not to have a place to put his head down. Who knows what it's like to be rejected by close friends. Who knows what it's like to be told that they are evil, who knows what it's like to be totally misunderstood by his own family. We have such a high priest. It's extraordinary when you think about it. You won't find this anywhere in any other religion where God becomes man to fill man's pain And this is the Lord Jesus. He knows everything that we go through. He's walked this path a thousand times, as it were. He knows the difficulty and the heartache that you go through. He understands because he's been there. You know, if you go through a particular problem, you might be able to go to a counsellor 
If that counsellor hasn't experienced what you've been through, they may give you the right advice but may not reach the depths of your need. But if you've got somebody who's been through exactly the same thing that you've been through, they're more qualified to be an aid to you than somebody who's simply got a certificate that they're a counsellor. Well, the Lord Jesus covers all bases. He's been there and he's had everything thrown at him. He has become one of us in our likeness. He knows what it is to feel weary. Do you remember after the long journey when he got to the world? He was wearied by the long journey in Samaria. You can read about it in John 4. Now this is a call to those who are weary of life and have come to an end and they can't handle it. But also, is it not true for us as believers that we need to come back to him? The answer to our various troubles and weariness and vexations and sores and wounds and discomforts and depression and inward hardness is to come to Jesus. You know, when you're weary and you feel like you're on, the last, you're on the, your last legs, the last thing you feel like doing is getting on your knees and praying. Because praying is hard work. Why is it we think we have to come to prayer? We need to come to Jesus in prayer. We're coming to a person. Begin to pour this out before him. Come to him. You know, we can begin by taking the Lord's load upon ourselves, but it's not long before we try and collect a few more things and we'll walk in a path that is the Lord's path, but we've gathered more things onto ourselves than the Lord intended for us to gather onto ourselves and we're bent over and it's hard moving forwards, right? We need to come to Jesus afresh. You know, the wonderful thing about the Lord's load, it says here, Come to me, all you, are lab- all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. does not mean that the Lord will have you sitting on your sofa for the rest of your days. It does not mean that we now don't need to go to work because the Lord has said we will have rest so we just leave our jobs and we stay on our sofa all days having rest. Is that what Jesus meant? No. I want to suggest to you that the, at the heart of what Jesus is saying here is this, I will give you rest. That's the heart of this passage. But what does he mean by rest? 
Well, essentially, when somebody's heavy laden and burdened and they realize that they need salvation, they come to Jesus and pour out their hearts to him and he gives them the rest of salvation, doesn't he? Because rest here indicates that it is a gift, right? Because it says, "Take my sorry, come to me all who are labor who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, that means it's a gift. I will give you something. What will the Lord give you? Rest. Rest is speaking in that sense of salvation. There is a rest in our salvation where we realize that Jesus has paid the debt in full. I don't need to work for my salvation. My salvation has been won for me. And I don't need to impress the Lord through my own efforts to get into heaven because Jesus has done everything to get me into heaven. He has paid the price. He has taken the shame. He's borne the wrath of God. He's lived the sinless life. He's done everything. And nothing can be added to his salvation and nothing can be taken from it. It's a perfect salvation. I come in that way into rest. That's why it's so different from any other religion in the world, Christianity, because with every other religion, you're climbing a ladder to get in God's good books. But with Christianity, Jesus has done all the climbing. He's come down and done all the work and gone ahead of us and gone on to glory. And he's leading many sons to glory now. Because of what he has accomplished at Calvary. So, what can one do if the work is all done? Nothing. (laughs) Imagine going into a house that's thoroughly clean. Thoroughly clean. Tip-top condition. And you've been told to go into that house to clean it. What are you going to do? I mean, you've got nothing to do. You're out of a job. None of us could clean ourselves up inwardly. None of us. We're an absolute wreck, a mess from head to toe. Jesus has done the whole work, He's redeemed the people to Himself by His own blood. And the work means that by faith, Jesus has become my righteousness. So there's nothing more for me to do to impress God. Why? Because Jesus has done the work. And therefore, if I'm born of the Spirit, in God's eyes, because of the goodness of Christ, I am justified. Justified. That means declared right. You're declared right before you've done anything. The good works aren't to get justified. The good works that we do come out of the fact that we've already been justified. It's so upside down to the way the world works. That's why you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to get these things into your hearts. Are you justified? I wonder if I came to you and I said to you personally, are you justified? You say, well, I've given my life to the Lord. I'm born again of the Spirit. I think so. 
do you believe in the sufficiency of Calvary or not? If you believe in the sufficiency of the work of Christ, then you know you have been justified. Now, if you've been justified by God before you've done anything, it's only going to go up (laughs) as you go along in your walk with God. Listen to what the scriptures say here. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So if God has justified you, there's not a living voice in heaven or the earth or beneath the earth that can speak against you. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now isn't that interesting? It says, who is to condemn you? And then Paul takes the Lord Jesus and, as it were, places him in complete view. You know, I could say, who is to condemn you? You've repented of your sins. You've put your faith in Christ. You're living a good life. You're not down at the pub every other week. I wouldn't go to the pub any week, personally. But anyway, you're not doing things like that. You're relatively kind to your neighbours. You feed your grandma's cat. You help out in so many ways. You are a good Christian. You're doing well. That's what I would have put. Who is to condemn you? You know, you're, you're, you're doing pretty well in your walk with the Lord. You, you've got a few things wrong with you, but nevertheless, haven't we all? I would have put that there after who is to condemn me because the, con- the, the question is revolving around me. Who is to condemn me? No one can condemn me because I have put my faith in Christ. I have done this. I have done that. That would be our natural propensity. That would be the way we would answer. Paul doesn't answer like that. He's basically saying, who is to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. He immediately puts the Lord Jesus into view. Why is that? Because Satan and every demon that there is has no condemnation to bring against Jesus. And you are in Jesus if you're born again. So how can he condemn you? And you've been raised up together with Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. How can he condemn you? You are justified by means of what? By means of your own works? No, by means of faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus and the blood that was poured forth to secure the cleansing of my soul. Satan has no answer for the blood. None. He can't respond. Everything to do with rest is dependent on you falling 
on the work of Christ. And him alone to save you. Well, that's very true concerning our initial being born again of the Spirit of God. But I need rest as a believer. Why is that? You know, many of us, we begin in a right way, but we become restless. And we find ourselves trying to do this, that, and the other for the Lord. Why do we do that? Often because we allow guilt and condemnation to come into our lives and drive us into almost semi-doing works for the Lord's acceptance of us without almost realizing why because that's the natural man that's how you think naturally you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind by being in the book otherwise you won't think spiritually as you ought consider this consider this do you remember with mary and martha it says concerning both of those dear sisters that they both sat at the feet of the Lord Jesus. It wasn't that Mary was simply the good one and Martha never sat at Jesus' feet. No, they both sat at Jesus' feet. But it says within Luke 10 that Martha was distracted by much serving. You can be distracted with serving the Lord. You can get into serving the Lord in areas that he's not even commanded you to do anything. And you begin to try and, I must serve the Lord. He's in my house. I feel every sympathy with Martha. I think if I'd have the Lord Jesus in my house, I'd be really wanting to do the dishes and everything. I don't normally do them very well. But, you know, I'd want to do, I mean, I'd have to put on the best everything. Jesus is in my house. And she gets distracted with serving Jesus. How ironic. And then she gets upset because Mary isn't helping her and she's burning the beans or the toast or whatever it might be. She can't keep all these plates spinning. And she's annoyed. And there's Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Something's got to give. So she's getting more and more pent up within her. Can't keep all this up. Bang. And there she goes. Rebukes, basically, is almost rebuking the Lord. Tell her to come and help me. In Hebrew. Tell her to come and help me, Lord. And what does the Lord say? Mary, on your feet. You're meant to be helping your sister. She's doing all this work around the house for me. And you're just sitting there. You've had enough. Off you go. It doesn't do that. He says, Martha, Martha. Now when Jesus or any name is mentioned twice, it's significant. There's something to this. Martha, Martha. Simon, Simon. Absalom, Absalom. Whoever it is. In the word of God. Twice mentioned, Martha. You are troubled. You're weighed down. Jesus is now. Let's try and get my words right. Jesus is now revealing a wrong disposition in Martha. 
he says, you're troubled, you're worried about many things. That's a word of knowledge. He's revealing what's in her heart. She hasn't said, I'm really troubled about many things. She's just annoyed that Mary won't help her around the house. But there's a deeper problem. Martha is pent up with loads of anxiety. Trouble. She's under a heavy load. Mary has come to Jesus. Martha has gone away from Jesus. Mary is in a position of rest. Martha is in a position of a disposition of anxiety. Jesus says to Martha, you're troubled, you're worried about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing is needed. One thing is of paramount importance. Well, August Top Lady said it well, didn't he? Not the labour of my hands can fulfil your law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. You must save, and you alone. Martha is completely anxious about her life. And Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good part that will not be what? Taken away. Hmm. Once you come to Jesus, once you're in fellowship with Jesus, once you receive from him, he's not going to take it away. Martha had removed herself from this position of rest and got herself into a whole load of trouble. And by worrying, you can't add a single day to your life. Yes, for the unbeliever, they must come to Jesus. But as believers, we can be full of anxiety in trying to serve Jesus, feeling we've got to be in his good books by means of our own efforts. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now that rest is a rest in the soul. So you can still be laboring in Jesus, but be at rest. How is this so? Well, do you remember the Pharisees, they would heap laws upon the people without lifting a finger to help them. That's what they were like. Jesus commands various things. There are laws in the New Testament. There are. But the Word of God says, according to John the Apostle, that his commandments, the Lord's commandments, are not burdensome. Why is that? It has to do with taking on the Lord's yoke. You see, a yoke, you had 
this beam across two animals and two of them would be going forwards and they would essentially be carrying a load together. When the Lord requires things of you, he doesn't expect you to carry the load of that commandment of yourself. He gives his grace and his spirit to accomplish that commandment which he gives you to fulfill. He will never require of you something beyond your means. Let me put it like this. He will never require of you anything beyond the means of the grace he gives you to accomplish that commandment. He will always give grace for the work. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10 that he labored, same Greek word as used here in Matthew 11, he labored more abundantly than all the other apostles. Essentially that's what he was saying. He worked really hard. But he says, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that was with me. It was me, but it wasn't me. Now you can see some great Christian preacher or some person that you look up to within the church and you sort of think, I want to become like that person. So you try to keep up with their spirituality. You're become undone very quickly. Why? Because the Lord doesn't want you to take another brother's yoke upon you. He wants you to take his yoke upon you for you. This is so important. How many of us have read great Christian books? You read Reese Howes and you think, right, I'm going to be the next Reese Howes. I will save Great Britain from World War III whenever it comes. And I'll be doing all the praying and I'll get the group around me. And you begin your prayer life and you sort of think, wow, this is going well. Two days later, this is a little bit difficult, but at least we're still on track. By the following week, your hair's almost falling out. You can't keep up with Reese House. And you're sort of thinking, oh no, there's something wrong with my Christianity. I'm falling apart at the seams. But the Lord doesn't say in Matthew 28, come to me and take Reese House's yoke upon you and learn from him. Doesn't say that. He says, take my yoke upon you. You need to go at the Lord's pace for you. And the danger is we can condemn one another for where we're at. That's not right to do that. We need to remember that we're all at different stages. And we all need help. And we all need to take the Lord's yoke upon us. Now look, notice this verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Learn from me. Learn from me. Now, if you're going to learn from somebody, it means somebody needs to teach, right? You need a teacher in order to be able to learn something. If you haven't got a teacher, you can't learn. And Jesus is saying, come to me and learn from me. In other words, I will teach you. You've heard everything from the Pharisees and all those kind of guys. Wise in their own eyes. Come 
to me. Not even to the best Bible teacher in the country. Don't come to YouTube. Come to me. Oh dear. I better learn that lesson. I click on YouTube too quickly. Why does he say come to me? For I am gentle and lowly in what? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is revealing his nature. (laughs) This is what I am to my people. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Now, you could have the best teacher in the world, par excellence, par excellence, par excellence. You could have the best teacher in the world, one-to-one teaching, let's say, in French, with the best French teacher in the whole world, and it's free. Now imagine that. Even my French would become good with the best French teacher in the whole world, you would have thought. But let's imagine that the best French teacher in the whole world is a very impatient person. And he's very arrogant. And he's quick to wrap you over the knuckles when you get something wrong. Now, he's the best teacher in the the world, but it's not the nicest person. Quite a number of us would be running out the door to get out from the lesson, not to be in it. But Jesus here says, come to me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I'll be your teacher, for... And this is the qualification, as it were, he gives about himself. This is, the, this is the reason he puts forward why you should learn from him. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is the best of teachers. But not only is he good at teaching, but he's gentle with his disciples. Gentle and lowly of heart. Now you see snapshots of this all the way through. Jesus is dealing with the disciples. Give you one example. In John 16, well I might give you two, but um, anyway, in John 16, just have a look there with me for a minute. Jesus is speaking of the work of the Spirit. And he says in verse 8 of John 16, And when he comes, the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them now. I think that's beautiful. Have you ever thought about that verse? Jesus had many things he wanted to say to the disciples. You almost feel that he wants to go on and on, a bit like me with this sermon. Go on and on and on and speak about more and more things. But he doesn't. He restrains himself from speaking to them. Why? Because you cannot bear them now. That's gentleness. There's things that the Lord withholds you from knowing as you're growing up in him because at that point you would not be able to bear it. Bearing speaks of carrying a load. And Jesus is saying in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. If you like, take my load on you. Jesus is never going to overload you with something that you can't handle. Not because he doesn't want to bring you to that place, but because you're not able to bear it at the moment. This is gentleness, isn't it? Many of us would think, well, these disciples have been with the Lord so long now. They've seen the miracles. They've seen things we haven't seen. They should be able to take this. Jesus isn't like that. So easy to condemn people because they're not as far on as we are in certain areas. Have to be careful of that. Because Jesus wasn't like that. There's certain things he withholds. Why? Because he knows they can't bear them now. That's gentle leading. I think another wonderful gentle example is when Jesus dealt with Simon Peter. The man who was naturally self-assured. Luke 22.31. Let's come to a close. Luke 22.31. Simon, Simon, what did I say before about the names? Simon, Simon, the Lord's really trying to get his disciples' attention here. Simon, Simon, Satan, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he meant it. But Jesus knew he couldn't do it. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, or until you deny three times that you know me. I think this is amazing. I really do. I think this is one of the most extraordinary passages of Scripture. Jesus knows that Simon Peter is going to deny him. Peter doesn't know. He thinks he's got everything sewn up in his walk with the Lord. He's the leader. He's going to go right through to the cross. Even if all the others forsake, Peter's going to make it. He was so self-assured. If I was Jesus, I would really be hitting Peter here. You have no idea how weak you are. 
you have no idea. I've had to be up praying for you. You're a mess, Peter. You think you're so clever. You think you can make it. And I'm telling you, you're not going to make it. And it's only by my grace you're going to have any part in my kingdom after this. That's the way I would have acted. That's the way many leaders act. What does Jesus do? Jesus has been praying for Peter because he knows that Satan has demanded him. And Jesus is not resentful that he's got to pray for Peter. He's calling on the Father for the preservation of this man because it's the will of the Father that Jesus lose none of those that the Father had given him. And he's interceding for Simon Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Can you believe that the Lord Jesus put Simon Peter in such a privileged position whereby after he's denied him and said that he wouldn't, he's even saying before he's denied him that he is going to take Simon Peter and he is going to make of him the man to strengthen the other brothers. And in fact, on the day of Pentecost, when it comes, who's the one that stands up and brings the gospel? Simon Peter. It's amazing. The gentleness of the Lord with Simon Peter is here if you can trace it. If you can see it. How would you have responded to somebody you know is about to betray you? And Jesus has said, I've been praying for you. And he's not resentful about it. This is the love of the Lord. He's so gentle with his own. I'm not saying that God is, or the Lord Jesus is somehow winks at sin. We're not saying that Jesus is soft on wrongdoing. No, 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 no. He disciplines us. He chastens us. He rebukes us. But what I'm saying to you is that doesn't change his disposition of heart, that he is humble, gentle, and lowly of heart, even in his discipline. And when he disciplines us, he does it to bring us into what? Into rest. You say, where does it say that? I was hoping you was going to ask me that. Psalm 94. I came across this just the other day. Really uh, spoke to my heart. Psalm 94. Verse 12. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest. Isn't that an amazing statement? To give him rest from days of trouble. Amazing. Until a pit is dug for the wicked. The Lord disciplines his own. The dig is the pit is dug for the wicked. But the Lord disciplines his own and teaches them through disciplining them out of his law to bring them to what? To bring them to rest. Amazing. Quietness of soul. 
an amazing thought, but that's what the Lord does. Oh, friends, the Lord does discipline. The Lord does chastise. The Lord does sometimes deal with us strongly when we're going astray, but not because he hates us. It's a discipline of love to bring us back to quietness of soul and rest in himself. Such is the mercy of God. So let's end. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, are you putting a yoke upon yourself that isn't from the Lord? If you are, it will chaff. It will, it will not fit. It will not be good. It will wear you down. It will ultimately wear you out. You'll end up with the Lord having to say to you, Joseph, Joseph, Peter, Peter, Jane, Jane, whoever you may be, David, David, you're troubled about many things. We need to come back to taking the Lord's yoke upon us. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, for the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that your testimony? If it isn't, maybe you need to come back to Jesus. Say you've been wandering a bit, been a bit far off, a bit distant. Come back to Jesus. You will find rest for your soul. He deals with inner turmoil and all of that. You'll find rest for your soul. Remember his dis disposition of heart, his gentleness and lowliness. The Lord is humble. That's why he doesn't associate with proud people. He gives grace to the humble. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning. The exhortation is this. Come back to him. Find out what the Lord wants you to labor in. Don't labor in everybody else's vineyard except your own. Labor in what the Lord has given you to do. If you just do his will, you will not run out of supply of grace, strength, and mercy from God. Learn from him. He is gentle and lowly of heart. Let's pray. Oh dear Lord, we want to ask of you that it would please you to write your word upon our hearts. You know some of us were overburdened, were overstretched, we feel stressed, we're full of anxiety. We want to confess these sins to you, Lord, because we don't find anxiety is something that you give us. We don't find that fear and, and, and just a wearing out is really in your heart for us. We thank you that you are a God who gives grace. And there are times when you want us to labor strongly and it's hard and there's difficulty involved and there's sacrifice involved. But Lord, even then, is your grace not given to us? Is your enabling not given to us? Surely it is. We pray that we would take to heart your word for us this morning and truly receive it for the way of living in the days ahead. We ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.